What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hi, this is Steve. Act one of Lawrence of Arabia ends with T.E. Lawrence in triumph. He has captured Aqaba with a small force against impossible odds. Crossed the Sinai Desert to report to General Allenby in Cairo, who promotes him, giving him the respect and responsibilities he always wanted. But rather than heal Lawrence, these triumphs serve only to drive him harder. And as the pressure mounts, the cracks within his character threaten to break him and the Arab revolt apart. T. Lawrence was without question a great man, but that greatness didn't come without a great price. And just as Arabia is forever changed by the actions of T.E. Lawrence, Lawrence is forever changed by Arabia. Lawrence of Arabia is one of the great cinematic masterpieces, and a must-have for any movie collection. And if you want to build that collection, a great place to start is our website, cinephiles.net, where you can buy Lawrence and every other movie we've ever reviewed. So, that's Act 2 of Lawrence of Arabia with our special guest, Rachel Cushing, this Friday on The Cinephiles. I shall want quite a lot of money. All it is. Not that much. The best of them won't come for money. They'll come for me. Welcome back to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of great film, and this week we continue our exploration of Lawrence of Arabia. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Akaba! 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 That's a little, uh, that's a little uh, uh, what do you call it? Combining two movies in one there, a little dog day afternoon in Lawrence. Hi, this is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, host, writer, producer, all kinds of things, and uh, the outlaw on the Schmodown uh, here in Los Angeles. It's Los Angeles. There we go. And we are thrilled to welcome back to continue with <laughs> Lawrence of Arabia, Rachel Cushing. Uh, welcome back to The Cinephiles. Thank you for having me back. Uh, I, I'm happy to finish out the movie <laughs> that we uh, started over our very lengthy first discussion. Yeah. Well, and fortunately, the yeah. second half of Lawrence of Arabia is not quite as long as the first half of Lawrence of very Arabia. Um, so we're going to just get right in it, I think. Um, we come back considering what a big movie this is in kind of a small scene, mm-hmm. which is an American reporter uh, named named Bentley, shows up at Aqaba to meet Prince Faisal. The great Arthur Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. I love him so much as an actor. And he's great in this movie. He really he really leans into the Americanness <laughs> yeah. of this character, I find, a lot. Um, but I think that that's an interesting because we, we've been so established. You know, we've got the British, we've got the Arabs, and then we have this sort of brash, loud mm-hmm. reporter type coming in who's intent on making a name for himself as mm-hmm. a storyteller, and so he's looking for his the subject that uh, that he can tell a story about, make a myth about, and uh, Lawrence is ripe for that kind of exposure. Oh, yeah. Well, and he's one of these people that... I think there's three people in the movie who kind of both admire Lawrence, but also see through them, and that's Allenby, Faisal, and Bentley. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, they all... They get him. Yep. Dryden, too. 
yeah. I would say. Yeah, dry, to, to an dry extent. He's so restrained, um, it's hard to tell. But it, yes, it is I think very, right. yeah. I mean, I, I think, think that right. there is some respect there. I think the the three you mentioned are more like the maybe the respect and the the um, distaste for is a little more equal yeah. uh, in some ways. But So he goes to have his meeting with Faisal. First thing Faisal does, I love that he puts his watch out. Yeah. It's a very small but yeah. a really great uh, mm-hmm. detail. Um, and there's this conversation of Lawrence's army. He's like, or is it Faisal's army? Mm. Um, He's and, pushing buttons. Yeah, definitely. Um, and we we get a little, find out that they did not, in fact, get artillery. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it restrains them to smaller things. Um, and, and I love that Bentley gives him a little warning of watch out for Allenby. He's a slim customer. Yeah. The scene is, it's a fun scene. I think... I think part of you've been through so much emotional stuff mm-hmm. and you were just outside and you had your smoke or you had your mm-hmm. drink or whatever you had. You went to the bathroom. And now you've come back in. We're not going to jump in that full. Yeah. We're going to we're going to ease you back into this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then Faisal points out something really important that we he gives some statistics, which is we have 37 wounded and 156 dead. You remark the disproportion between our dead and wounded. Yeah. Four times as many. That's because those too badly wounded to bring away, we ourselves kill. We leave no wounded for the Turks. You mean? I mean we leave no wounded for the Turks. Which is, it, it's, it's foreshadowing yep. for a plot Absolutely. point, but it's also a very interesting and sort of telling um, way to position this as, it is a, a war. People are dying mm-hmm. and that the circumstances of this war are even that much worse because the people that we're fighting do not look at us as human beings, do not obey the, the con- Geneva Convention and will not treat any prisoners of war, yeah. you know, gently. Yeah. Um, and, and so you sort of get a little bit of a wake-up call of, oh, yeah, this is a war and not a fun one. They have a fascinatingly honest conversation, it's, I think. Like, each one of them knows, like, oh, I'm saying this for this reason. Oh, I see that you're saying this and this is what's behind it. Mm-hmm. And they both kind of understand each other. And we hear that what Bentley wants is his story to tell. Mm-hmm. And he even describes that he's looking for a hero that can make the war seem adventurous. Right, because this was about the time that the Americans were, you know, finally convinced to to join the war. Mm-hmm. And, and the way to get Americans behind war is through propaganda. And wouldn't it be fun and nice to join this war? <laughs> if only they knew what was coming. Right. Um, but yeah, but that, that, and and I like that the movie doesn't shy away from that sort of less than ethical (laughs) reasoning for what he's trying to do. Mm. Um, but I think he recognizes that Faisal is somebody who isn't going to necessarily mince words and understand the true motivations for characters. It's very simple, sir. I'm looking for a hero. Indeed. You do not seem a romantic man. Oh, no. But certain influential men back home believe that the time has come for America to lend her weight to the patriotic struggle against Germany uh, and Turkey. Now, I've been sent to find material which will show our people that this war is... Uh, Enjoyable? Well, hardly that, sir. But the short in its more adventurous aspects. You are looking for a figure who will draw your country towards war. All right. Yes. Ardens is your man. Again, an amazing cut to a beautiful shot of Peter O'Toole holding up the plunger on a you know explosive device and blowing up that train. It's just so gorgeous. 
it's just again i have another note the pictures are amazing <laughs> um they fire the chain from the distance and this almost looks like an army like we have people mm -hmm. they're behind cover they're firing from a distance lawrence yells at them to stop they don't stop yep. lawrence fires a flare they don't stop lawrence runs out fires a flare again they don't stop Alda says stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs> um and then they charge down at the train and how do you feel about this attack on the train it's brutal yeah but I also think Lawrence has converted into the Arab thinking, Arab approach to these kinds of things where he removes the morality of it or the judgment of it and he participates in it. But he's also swept up. He's working through some shit and he's swept up in this uh, uh, savior prophet type of thing. And you see when they attack the train and the way they shoot everybody and the people like leaning out the windows and stuff and they take all this and you see him walking on top of the train. There's all of it that happens here that is well, very graphic. And to be clear, this is not solely a military train. Right. Right. There are civilians. There's mm -hmm. old men. There's there's just normal people on this train, and they just wipe them all out. Yeah. And as Lawrence is kind of going through there, and while they're they're looting the train mm -hmm. for stuff, we see a wounded soldier that's kind of struggling to his feet. Yeah. And um, Alda goes by with an umbrella. Um, <laughs> just because. Um, yeah. And... He's, the wounded soldier spots Lawrence and shoots him in the shoulder. He's parading on top of the train. Yeah. That's the thing. He makes himself a target by being like that in his old white clean robes again. Yep. Uh, He's playing up the mythical yes. leader figure, the the one who nothing can happen to yes. me. Yes. Yep. The idea that he nothing bad can happen to me. But something bad does happen to him because he gets shot in the shoulder. He mm -hmm. goes down and his first words I find so fascinating. He says, good, good. <laughs> What do you think he means by that? I feel like it's that it's the dichotomy of um, coming to it, so before, soldiers going into war have a romanticized mm. version of it. Now you're in the thick of it. Now mm. you're you're dealing with the reality of it. And now he's understanding that the looting and the killing of innocents and and he gets swept up in it. And that's you know part of it. But as much as he wants to be the mythic figure and the prophet, he needs to feel grounded in a way with it too. And so like, I take it as of like, you know, the, the enemy fights back, but not in a way that it's like, like that treading that line of I'm invincible. You got me in the shoulder mm -hmm. and, and I'm standing up and I think there's almost like a respect he has for that guy for taking that shot mm. in a way. Um, but it, to me, also, though, the more interesting thing is he says that and then he stands there and lets him shoot yep. at him however many more times. Yep. So it's really this weird, uh, I, I'm this extraordinary figure that cannot be killed. And I'm proving that right now, but just fallible enough to have been grazed, I guess. Well, it's yeah, I think it's such a complicated moment. Yeah. And I think there's part of it to me is this sort of. First of all, he's never been shot before, so now I've had this experience. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now I know what now I know what this thing is. I was afraid of this and now I've experienced it. Yeah, he's he's understanding what it actually war actually means now. It's not this. And then it's also like I have this thought cuz some moments just make you sort of dig into them and go, like, "Well, what is that about?" Mm -hmm. And I also kind of had the thought of like, "Oh, I've gotten too big for my britches. I was believing my own BS." Mm -hmm. And now good, good. I've I'm, I, I've something reminded me of this. And then also, and then also I think maybe there's a, and now I'm afraid, like I'm feeling real fear. And therefore, what do I have to do? I have to not mind that it hurts and I have to stand up and face it. 
mm. and allow myself to be, you know, there's all these things going on. Here. I love that you made the call back to the burning of the fingers, not minding the mm. hurt, you know, the, the pain. It, it, it's the trick is to, to ignore well, the pain. This is a thing that we're going to see a lot. I do want to know for another possibility. Yes. Because for my mind, it's, um, I've always took it as a psychological moment for him because he's still dealing with the death of, death of Faraj. He's still dealing with, or uh, Dode. And he's dealing with the what he the feelings that came up for him in killing mm. Gossam. And so this is, in a way, a subconscious, self-destructive thing for him to do. When he gets shot, it's the penance. The penance he puts himself through, oh, great this point. is another yeah. thing, too. Him getting shot, it's good, good. It's like, yes, I deserve this. I deserve this, you know? And uh, and then when he stands in front of him, he's almost saying, kill me. Yeah. Kill me. Put me out of my misery for what I've done, for the people I've killed, for the things I've done. It's, I can't do it myself. You can do it. Wow. No, that's so a great... That's, that's a great how movie. I take it. Yeah. And so he stands up. The guy fires at him, and he just stares at him, and then Alda comes from behind and kills the guy with the sword. <laughs> the brutalness of his death with the sword is, uh, I think, in stark contrast to yeah. what uh, Lawrence is doing. And, of course, then who comes around the next moment is Bentley, Bentley. And, and he goes, oh, I never... Jiminy. I love that he says Jiminy. Yeah. i never seen a man killed by a sword before. And Lawrence's response is, why don't you take a picture? Wish I had. <laughs> And he's like, I would have if I'd gotten here yeah, a couple seconds sooner. Um, and uh, and then he wants to take a picture of Lawrence, and he goes, I don't know, just walk on the top of the train. There's some moments that are just so cinematic. Yeah. I, I mean, I could describe it. He just walks on the top of the train. Yeah. We see it in shadow, and we see just his feet, and we see him in silhouette. just forgive the pun leans into it yeah. by shooting him from below by yeah, shooting shadow. with the shit in, in the 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 robes and there's just something so epic and romantic despite the horrific nature of what's going around like we're creating a myth that the whole thing was that he became of this mythic figure especially because he died young and everything else and so they're playing into that and then by having a reporter who wants to report on a mythical hero type oh. and is just like, just, just give it to me. Like, this is exactly what I want. And it's, it's moving. It's crazy score. that it's moving. And the score. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little later. And, uh, we're with Colonel Brighton, who's on the armored car, mm -hmm. who doesn't like the fact that people are looting. Um, and Ali's response, which, you know, makes sense is aren't British officers paid. Truly are not British soldiers paid. They don't go home when they've been paid. They are not free to. <laughs> um, and Arabs are leaving, and Lawrence thinks they'll come back, and he's now down to less than 200 men. Brighton's he, taking him to task for this, too. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And rightly so. Right. How, um, who, how can you trust these guys, and how many will be left, and you know, how can you show they come back? There's a very brief but really nice scene with um, Bentley and um, Ollie, who's studying politics from some book. Uh, oh, yeah. It, like a ch children's book children's or something book. like that, mm -hmm. yeah. And and there's this moment. It's like, wait, you think you're going to have a democracy? You're going to have a parliament? And uh, and Ali's response is, "I will tell you when I have a country." <laughs> yeah. um, and he's like, "Yep, that's just like a politician." Um, but but in the most optimistic sense of a politician, I love that Ali's character wants to pursue politics, even though we'll see throughout the film the the sort of the underbelly of that. Like, I feel like Ali understands that he will have to play the game but he will as a person as a character sort of remain a little bit above it 
There's just something about his nobleness that makes you believe like, oh, you could actually be the best version of a politician that you can be compared to some of these other people and their machinations happening in the movie. Bentley then talks to Lawrence. He has two questions for him. Mm. The first question is, what in your opinion do these people hope to gain from this war? They hope to gain their freedom. Freedom. They hope to gain their freedom. There's one born every minute. They're going to get it, Mr. Bentley. I'm going to give it to them. Again, with the cane thing. Yeah. That's the third sentence yeah. you started with I. Oh, yeah, that's a you, great point. You think liberty is a gift for you to give them. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, it, it's just this arrogance, mm-hmm. you know, of this character. And then he asks, what is it that draws you particularly to the desert? It's clean. Well, now. That's a very illuminating answer. <laughs> I th- I th- it's, to me, it's like, it's, I think there's a m- many quotes that I love from, from the film and I think are, are very indicative of, uh, of the movie. But I find that one almost amusing in a way. And, but it's also, it's, it's wonderful to call back to when you talk later, when he talks much later about blood in the desert and how the yeah. desert bl- like white washes the blood away. And, and it sort of has a halt. It calls back to this line here. And that's something that Lawrence has a hard time reconciling. But at mm-hmm. this moment, it's something he believes. Yeah. It's a weird line. I mean, it's a line where like, I'm, you could think about that forever and never mm-hmm. quite know exactly what yeah. he he's saying by that. Right. I mean, he is particular about cleanliness. That's certainly true, but I yeah. think we're in something deeper. Yeah. Um, it's a funny moment where he, Alda has a clock that's broken, and then he says, I need to find something honorable. honorable. Yeah. Cut to the train with the horses. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there's a beautiful white horse that's tied up all alone. Um, there's, a, again, an explosion. They ride in, they grab the horses, and the music cue is the horses are leaping off of this train. is just stirring and amazing and, you know, fun and powerful. <laughs> imagine shooting that was particularly easy no it's great and there's a great moment when the explosion happens where the horses all react Mm -hmm. yeah and i and and looking at it i go what did they do there yeah and they probably blew something up the only (laughs) thing i can think of to make all horses jump like that yeah um and now Alda's ready to go (laughs) and and brighton is pissed at Alda. it's like major lawrence will campaign this winter but you got your one and now you go home and i think Alda's response is so profound perfect Mm -hmm. yeah when Lawrence gets what he wants, he will go home. <sighs> That's a lot to because I don't think Lawrence is ever going to go what he wants. And then he turns to Brighton and says, and when you get what you want, you'll go home. And yep. Brighton's like, no, I won't. I have orders. <laughs> and- That's the, that really interesting contrast between like a British soldier, a yeah. soldier mentality. Yeah. And don't break the rules, follow orders down to the letter. And then the Arabs who just find that frankly silly yeah and yeah. and lawrence who who actually agrees more with the arabs in that situation but it is a very soldier response and he can't wrap his head around somebody who doesn't follow orders right. that is supposedly fighting in an army well and it depends you know it's like we, you throw this word honor around but it's mm-hmm. like what is what defines honor for the arabs as portrayed in this movie they really really care about honor yeah. that guy yeah. drank out of my well i gotta shoot him you know that's that's really really serious mm-hmm. But it would be silly to stay when I don't want to stay anymore or to not loot or anything like that. Whereas the British define honor as I must follow these rules and 
And regardless of my personal needs, to put my personal needs before these rules and what is the needs of the military as a whole, that would be dishonorable. Yeah. Um, so we have a clash of honors, which ends with uh, Brighton calling out a, a deserter. And I love Outer's response is, Give thanks to God, Brighton, that when he made you a fool, he gave you a fool's face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brighton. Outer's sick burns, man. Yeah. They're great. Um, and now Lawrence is alone. It's like, what are you going to do? He's like, well, I'll go north. Maybe with 20. Mm. He's just going to keep fighting that battle. And by the way, there, there's, there are times in, in Seven Pillars where it's literally him and like two guys through the snow. There's one point where he had to transport like 20,000 pounds of gold. Not pounds weight, but yeah. pounds value. But a lot of on, on two camels through a snowstorm, he got caught in a snowdrift and the camel wouldn't go any further. And he's in sandals, by the way. And he would go and... The snowdrift is like eight feet deep, and he would clear a path for 20 feet for the camel, then go back and get the camel, go forward 20 feet, clear 20 more feet, go back and get the camel, clear 20 feet, back and forth, back and forth, all night. Mm -hmm. You know, like the the, the physical, it, we don't really get into it in this movie, but mm -hmm. I mean, he constantly had dysentery, he had boils, he had, he was dehydrated, he had, you know, like every single horrible thing, he just overcame it, overcame it, overcame it. Yeah. Just fighting through, because some of what he says about not being a strong man is true. This is a small guy. He was fairly mm. frail and he just had indomitable will. Mm. So he goes forward to continue fighting this war. Um, we're listening on the rails because um, we're going to mine the tracks for a train. Mm -hmm. And guy comes up with the detonators and trips. Mm. It's really scary. And that is, again, great storytelling about like, oh, these things are dangerous. They could blow up at any time. Mm. Um Farage takes one detonator and slides it in his sash, mm -hmm. you know, at his waist, inside his shirt, against his skin. And then Lawrence comes, they're going to put the detonator in the in the plastique or whatever it is at that point, and he can't find the detonator. That's okay. And Lawrence's calm is great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Plenty of time. Go find another one. And he's down there working at the bomb, and then you hear the explosion off camera. Farage! Farage! Oh, brutal. And they run and they find Farash, who's obviously wounded, mm -hmm. and it comes very quick that he cannot ride. We and we can't leave him here for the Turks. Yep. And it's up to Lawrence, and Lawrence wants someone else to shoot him. I don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. And finally, he realizes he does have to do it, mm -hmm. and he kneels down next to him, and Farash says, "Daoud will be angry with you. Salute him for me." Which is exactly what Lawrence says happened in Seven Pillars. Oh, wow. I think he was shot. It wasn't the detonator thing, right. but it was this, he had to shoot Faraj in the head. Oh. And the last words were, Dawood will be angry. Salute him for me. Damn. This is one of those moments. There are multiple moments in his life. Gossam, Dawood, Faraj. We're going to see a couple of others that Lawrence, well, that changes him forever. Mm -hmm. This is yeah. just. As war does. Yeah. Right. As war does. Yeah, this this is the the dark underbelly of it, the mm -hmm. the the, the non-romantic side, the yeah. side that makes you do things you don't want to do and things that you will have to live with for the rest of your life and give you nightmares. Yeah. Like yeah. and and the, I think these are the things that Lawrence didn't I don't think any soldier knows nope. until they're in it. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, eventually he's trying to create this romantic image of this warrior and that warrior part of why he 
is doing what he's doing because he was filled up with these romantic images. Yeah. And it's at the time that he is discovering that that's not the reality, that his image is literally being the most romanticized, yeah. romanticized all over the world wow. now because he's becoming very famous mm -hmm. and bringing more young men in to do this thing that isn't what they're being sold. Yeah. It's a good thing nothing like that happens today. <laughs> um, John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephile's new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there. The Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Steven, as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. And he, what's he going to do? He's going to continue fight. I know. I, I find it, you know, very telling and, and also very almost heartbreaking that the his reaction to losing Farage is to is to to lean in even more yep. on the ego and like, you know, who will walk on water with me is like right. basically his next, like he walks into yeah. the cave with wh whomever's left yeah. and, and, and basically comes up with the most daring thing he's ever come up with to, to go into Dara and a Turk where the, there's a Turk garrison, yeah. like as a white British man, he's just going to walk in there. And, and it's hard. Like that does seem like the uh, culmination of all of the, the ego build that's been happening and happening and I'm a prophet and I'm invincible and this guy shot at me six times and all I got was a graze in the shoulder and but also it's a reaction to what just happened to Farage. So. Oh, yeah. Well and this is him at his most delusional. Yes. Mm -hmm. You know he says Who are you to know what can be done? If we'd done what you thought could be done we'd be back in Yenbo now and nowhere. Whatever I asked them to do can be done that's all. They know that if you don't. Do you think I'm just anybody, Ali? Do you? And this is what's hard is, you know what? You're not just anybody. Right. Mm -hmm. He is extraordinary. Right. But he's not a prophet. He's Can't not read magic. your own press. Once you read your own press, yeah. the game is over. And he says, yeah, and as you say, it's like, we're going to go into Dura and do some reconnaissance and we're just going to walk in. And Ali is like, you're crazy. You're, yeah. you're, why are you doing this? Like, what yeah. is your... Really trying hard to right. talk him down. Why? 
And he's talking to him as a friend. Yes. There's no longer the judgment of the old mm-hmm. from by the well. He's this worried is about a him. Friend who cares about yeah. him. Yeah. And you know, I think we probably have all at one time or another had to have a conversation with a friend. Mm. It's rare that you actually convince them. Yeah. Sometimes later on they come back to you and go, Hey, you remember that time that you said <laughs> I shouldn't do that thing? You were right. But it's rare that we can get them at that moment. And Ali certainly can't convince him. And there's even like, Do you really think you can pass for an Arab? And he says, Yes, if you'll lend me some dirty clothes. Mm. Which is yep. that's not a nice thing to say. Nope. And um he goes into Durah. Yeah. And Jose Ferrer drives by and they're walking and Lawrence is having fun. He's yeah. sort of smiling and he's playing dancing over puddles. Like, yeah, what are you doing. Yeah, it's. I, I think he's kind of around the bend. Oh no, of course he yeah. oh, wants I to think... get caught. He wants to get caught. Yeah. He's putting himself in a position to get once again. This is my theory. And of no, course, I'm no, I'm with you to I, be punished. I, I, yeah, I think he yeah. wants to be punished. He's I looking to someone to punish him because he can't do it to himself. And then the soldiers stop him or try to stop him. He yeah. just says, "Walk on. Mm-hmm. Just keep walking." And they grab him and they turn him around and they take him and they leave Ollie and. We go into the scene with the Turkish Bay. Mm. Jose Ferrer. <laughs> he's so creepy with a cough. Oh, he's so creepy in this whole scene. And Peter O'Toole is a huge Jose Ferrer fan. Yeah. Cyrano de Bergerac is one of his favorite, favorite great films. Film. Yeah. And, and didn't Jose Ferrer basically say this is one of his, he considers it if one of his best, if not best roles they in had, terms of his own yes, acting? That, they had to convince him to do the movie yeah. because the part is so small. Um, and then when he saw the movie, he said, if I am going to be judged as an actor by any performance I've ever done, those 10 minutes are the greatest work I've ever done in my entire life wow. as an actor. And it was like, yeah, you That's won the amazing. Oscar for doing Cyrano. Yeah. And this well, is Andy has like three lines, yeah. four lines. It's yeah, like, but he is so chilling, chilling and oh. disturbing. And th- that cough mm-hmm. is so something. Yeah. Unsettling. And there's some there's some other guys that have also been brought to meet yeah. this the Turkish Bay, and he dismisses them and and kind of studies Lawrence. You have blue eyes. I say you have blue eyes. Yes, Effendi. Are you Circassian? Yes, Effendi. How old are you? Twenty-seven, Effendi. I I think. You look older. You have had a lot of experience. It's an interesting face. I am surrounded by cattle. He wouldn't know an interesting face from a sow's belly. I have been in Dara now for three and a half years. If they posted me to the dark side of the moon, I could not be more isolated. You haven't the least idea of what I'm talking about, have you? No, Fendi. Have you? No. That would be too lucky. The scene is really weird it's and like off-putting. It's like now, brother. It's like, a, like that, that end of the world place yeah. that mm-hmm. Sheen yeah. drops off to try to find out who's running yeah. the mm-hmm. play and giving yeah. the letters. And they're like, who the hell is... Aren't you in charge, man? Like, this is... He, they're in the... For lack of a better term, they're in the asshole of the war. This yeah. is like... This guy has been here for how long? He's, he's, he's drunk with his own power, too. Uh, well, and, and you get the sense that he is a well-educated person. Yeah, but he's been stuck here forever. Stuck with, and he makes some comments, and he's like, you know, and, and no one understands what he's talking about. Yeah. And he goes, oh, I'm surrounded by cattle. Yeah. You know, and he, he makes this speech, and then looks at Lawrence and goes, oh, you have 
no idea what I'm talking about. And the reality is, is no, actually Lawrence is the person who most understands. But what has he talks to about. act like he doesn't. He has to act like he doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, it's got to be interesting thinking about this scene in 1962 because it slowly takes on this sexual nature. And I don't know when you clue into like, well, what's happening here? As soon as he grabs, grabs his skin, that, that's, that's he's going to rape him. Was, yeah. He's going to yeah. rape him. Um, he finds the bullet wound, mm-hmm. you know, so he's like, oh, you're a deserter. And um, which army? And he goes, oh, your skin is very fair. And he leans in. And that's when it dawns on Lawrence what's about to happen. Yeah. And he kicks him in the balls. Yep. And apparently, according to you, Lawrence, he really kicked this guy yeah. in the balls. Oh, really? really hard. Yeah. Oh, wow. And uh, and they begin to beat him. They put him on this bench. And this guy pulls his arm forward. And this is great reactions from this guy. Yeah. Yeah. The, his leering, like, smile. Like, like if oh, you, you get... weren't sure what was happening, right. like, yeah. that smile. And then... And they get the, the cane, which they shred a little bit at the end yeah. to make it more brutal. And then they hit him. <laughs> and again, we're back to the point is not minding that it hurts. Mm-hmm. Is that his reaction is to take the pain and then to not react. And then you see the guy watching him going, oh... Good. Wow. You took that. And yeah. then another one, he took that. And now the guy kind of pulls a little tighter and smiles more like, oh, we're going to get to we're really, really uh, break you, really break you because you're putting up this resistance. And of course, what do we hear in the background and see coughing is the coughing and Jose Ferrer watching from a distance. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really disturbing scene. Um, there's lots of controversy about what really happened to him. He writes about, it's funny, if you read what he writes about in Seven Pillars, it is both far more gruesome than what is here, but also written in a way that's so poetic that it's very hard to understand what actually happened. It's, you know, he describes himself being broken in this severe way. He describes the emotions of being tortured Mm. and his desire to resist the torture and then his realizing he cannot resist the torture and then his desire to to confess to get anything to end the torture but then they won't and then the implication he doesn't say that he was raped but the implication is definitely that he was raped and then there's also people have you know because people have picked over this book in his life over and over again and looked at the timeline and go well why did he do that the next day if this happened then Mm -hmm. and why did he write this letter to this particular person describing it this way when in the book he described it this way and what is that all about it's 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 really hard to figure out exactly hmm. what in fact happened to him, but it's clear that something profound, really truly profound happened to him. This is the this is one of the one quote I wanted to pick out of um Seven Pillars. He says, In Dara that night, the citadel of my integrity had been irrevocably lost. That's rape. Yeah. That's rape. The citadel of my integrity. Right. I mean, even whatever actually physically happened emotionally spiritually he was raped yeah um and broken and ollie is waiting outside and eventually they throw him out into the mud mm-hmm. there's something about the way peter o'toole squeezes the mud against his face like i, I you could feel the coolness of it yeah. yeah you know what i mean as a relief this man who throughout this whole film is like wanted to be clean mm-hmm. and now he's embracing the cold mud there's something, and now we're back up in the mountains. And again, he's gone into this state yep. where he does not respond. And Ollie goes, sleep, sleep. And he doesn't sleep. And then eat, eat. You have a body like other men. Mm-hmm. And slowly he eats. And then he sleeps and he nods. And you see him 
coming back ish. Yeah. Um, physically. Physically. But, but we, but not mentally. Right. Well, and to some degree, you know, he's never going to come back from this. Right. Mm. I mean, you know? psychologically is better than, than mentally. But yeah, that this is, we keep talking about the fact that he thought he was invincible. Yeah. And this, and that he was always in control and that miraculous and, and that if he said something was possible, then it was possible. And so he probably thought to himself that something like this was an impossibility to happen to him. And it did. And when you get to that point, like that you, you just emotionally broken and how do you, you can't ever get back to thinking that you're infallible when it's, you've, you've been given concrete proof that you are. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that's super devastating to somebody who believed in their own extraordinariness. Yeah. And, and it's like the worst thing you can, it's like worse than death is finding out that you're not extraordinary or that's the thing that he believes he is. He's any man is what I am. And, and that, that, that's worse than death for somebody like that. And he finally gets moved in the morning. He goes like, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back to find the gent and go talk to Allenby. Mm. Um, and he's learned. And he says, I've come to the end of myself. I've come to the end of myself, I suppose. And the end of the Arab revolt? I'm not the Arab revolt, Ali. I'm not even an Arab. A man can be whatever he wants. You said. I'm sorry. I thought it was true. You proved it. Look, Ali. That's me. What color is it? That's me. And there's nothing I can do about it. And there's a line in here that I've thought about my whole life. A man can do whatever he wants. You said. He can. But he can't want what he wants. Mm. He can't want what he wants, or I can't want what I want. I've thought about that since I saw this movie the first since high school. And I think that is such a profound statement about the human condition, Yeah, you know, is that we make decisions about the things that we think that we want in life. And yet our behavior doesn't match up to those decisions. You know, like I go, I want to lose weight. I don't want to eat that cheeseburger. And yet I find myself eating it. <laughs> and so I, my ability to control my desire, mm-hmm. I can't control those things within myself that make me who I am. I can't simply become another person. I can't become Orance, you know? I'm Lawrence, I am who I am, you know? Like I can't, you know, that we are still trapped within some body that is built in with certain stuff. Mm. And to some degree, while we can, you know, maybe have the illusion of control, and I think to some degree we can control, actually changing ourselves is really, 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 really hard. Um, Yeah, you can't want what you want is a big one. Um, and heartbreaking and heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and he says, he says that he would have told him anything. Yeah. You know, they, they just didn't ask, but, just, and, and, but the thing is, Allie's trying to tell him that that anybody yeah. would like that, like that is, shouldn't define you in this moment. Like, why do you hold that against yourself? Mm. And it's because Lawrence did not consider himself any man. It still doesn't, by the way. Agreed. I mean, like, he's still, while he's saying, oh, I guess I am just anybody, he's still saying in this way, I'm still special, <laughs> you know? Um, and so he says, I'm going to go back to the, Jerusalem and just do a job that anyone can do. And he says, I'm going to make easy stages. He's like, you? He's like, oh, yes. You're not going to go starting across another desert yeah. this time? And, and, and the scene ends with him saying, can I borrow this fur? And Ollie's response is, it is not clean. No, but it's warm. 
And then finally, when he leaves, he says, trust your own people. And let me go back to mine. It's an interesting vote of confidence in Ali, which, yeah, you know, in, in terms of, I think that one of the layers of what's happening with Lawrence right now is realizing the divide between him and the Arabs as much as he wants to be one and be a part of their culture and, and, and see himself as one of them, that one of the reasons that he was violated was because he's not one, he's of, not them. one of them. Yeah. And and so he he's seeing the divide and realizing maybe it's not crossable, but recognizing in Ali somebody who, you know, maybe could do at least to some extent what he was trying to do in the more noble sense of bringing the Arab people together. Mm. And that I, I like that in this moment mm. of self-doubt, there's also a call out to Ali as being somebody that, you know, you, you could do this yeah. for your people. Yeah, and I also think he's come to the end of his uh, romantic idea of this all. Oh, when he that's gone. At yeah, this point. <laughs> when he says that to him, he says, "Trust your people. Let me go back to mine." Oh, now he wants to claim being part of the British people True. when he had made fun of them from the beginning and had put himself above them and all this jazz. And now, you know, he wants to go back to his people. Why? Because that's comfort. He won't be raped there. He won't be abused there. And he just wants to get away from this whole thing and go back to some place of comfort. I, I think that is exactly what he thinks. Yes. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that's actually real. Okay. You know, because he's a person, he was never comfortable among the British. Uh -huh. And therefore he said, he took some ideal and said, oh, I'm supposed to be this. Yes. And if I can go be this, then I will feel okay. Yeah. I'll feel like one of them. And then he became that, mm. and then he still didn't feel that way, and they had this mm. horrible experience. And in his mind, he went, oh, the lesson is I'm not that. Mm. I'm an ordinary person. I'm British. I'm just going to go back to be British, and now I'm going to go feel comfortable. Mm. But he's not. Mm -mm. Yeah. And as we see, right when we get there, yeah. there's the big marching band. He shows up in uniform, and he says you know, things in a very British mm -hmm. way, jolly good and all this stuff. And as soon as he turns the, you know, everyone says, oh, it's, you know, someone says, oh, we're putting a new squash court up. He says, oh, jolly good. Yeah. And he's so not behaving like himself. And, um, and as he turns the corner away from them, what do they say? Call him out on Yeah, it, they right? say, oh, he lays it on a bit thick. Yeah. He doesn't fit. He can't just become a regular British guy. Right. That's not in his nature. I mean, um, even it's even driven home to the point of like his uniform doesn't fit him yeah. because it's not he lost his along the way yeah. or whatever he yeah. says. And whatever one he got to borrow is so clearly ill fitting mm -hmm. to him. And it's just hitting you like you, you, don't, you don't fit in anywhere. No. Yeah. And, and, and he sees Bentley he says, oh, it's good to be back. And, and no one's no one believes him. Like, right. like, no, it doesn't. Come on. And he goes to meet Allenby. Um, and, and guess the, who's there? Faisal's <laughs> there. And. He's not, that is not good to see him. Nope. And there's this moment where Faisal says, oh, Orans. Oh, I'm sorry. Is it Major Lawrence now? <laughs> and he salutes him. That's rough. Yep. Mm. And now we hear the, for the first time about this treaty. Sykes-Picot. Sykes-Picot treaty, which is real, a real yeah. thing. And Allenby and Dryden are lying about it. And Faisal's calling them on their lies. And, and Lawrence goes, treaty? And Faisal goes, oh, he does it much better than you do. Because, <laughs> because so this is the first time that he's hearing about it. Um, and this is not true. In fact, oh. Lawrence knew about the Sykes-Pico yeah, for a long time. And he is the one who told Faisal 
in dis complete disobedience of oh. the British orders. This was really a traitorous act on his part to inform the Arabs of the Sykes-Picot Treaty. And what the Sykes-Picot Treaty is, for those of you who don't know, is that it was a deal between two fairly minor bureaucrats who really, like Sykes had never even been in the area. He knew nothing about, I mean, the guy was like an arrogant mm -hmm. person with no experience, who no like uh, knowledge of the area, who just decides that he's capable of making a peace treaty. I don't know that anyone would be doing a thing like that now. Um, and makes a deal with Pico, who's a French, uh, and they just said, after this war, the British and the French are going to split up all of this area, the, all the Ottoman Empire, and this is how we're going to do it. Mm. Um, again, can't imagine any Europeans making decisions like that today mm. or Americans, but yeah, you know, there you go. Um, but yeah, Lawrence told him and it, it's created one of those splits of guilt within him of whose side is he on by revealing right. this to Faisal early. Yeah. Uh, Faisal leaves and there's a great moment with Dryden where he says, and let's have no displays of indignation. You may not have known, but you certainly had suspicions. If we've told lies, you've told half lies. And a man who tells lies, like me, merely hides the truth. But a man who tells half lies has forgotten where he put it. <laughs> Some lines where I go like, I don't exactly know what that means, but that is a great line. <laughs> <laughs> it's one you, you sort of have to dissect for yeah. a few minutes and like, um, oh, uh, okay, I think. <laughs> um, and Lawrence says, I want an ordinary job. Um, and, and Allenby's like, what? You're a serving officer in the field. And as it happens, a damned important one. Personal? Are you mad? No. And if you don't mind, I'd rather not go mad. That's my reason, too. It's very honest. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I think, like, in terms of, especially what happens over the course of the scene and how he's manipulated rather easily back into things. But, um, but the fact that he understands that psychologically he's, right he's in a edge. very yeah. precarious place right now. Um, but that is something that they don't care about or that it, it is not a priority to them it, they, this last push to damascus is yeah, the priority he wants him to be part of the big push i don't want to be part of your big push what about your arab friends what about them i have no arab friends i don't want arab friends peter tool man yeah the, the ability to play so goofy and cute and soft and smart and intelligent and manipulative and then to have this level of power yeah. that's happening in this scene. And that's when Dryden notices that there's blood on his back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I love that he says something to Lawrence so he turns so Allenby can see it. That's like a brilliant little moment. Mm -hmm. And Dryden leaves and... You know, Allenby kind of is talking to Lawrence and says, oh, there's blood on your back. Do you want a doctor? And Lawrence is like, no. It's a great moment. Mm-hmm. Bentley is waiting outside, and there's a great moment with Dryden talking to Bentley. Bentley's trying to find out what's going on inside. Oh, so great! It's, it's, it's such the oh. the again the Americanness of it, but also the reporter like looking for his scoop. What's mm -hmm. going yeah. on in there? So what goes on in there? Nothing. Oh come on! No, really, nothing at all. Is the man in trouble? I expect so. We all have troubles. Life's a veil of troubles. Just let me know if the man's in trouble. I've got an interest in that man. I've got a claim. What claim? You've read my stuff. I've made that boy a hero. When the war's over, that boy can be anything he wants. Yes. Well, at the moment, he wants to be somebody else. <laughs> and then... Well, I'll tell you. It's a little clash of temperament that's going on in there. Inevitably. One of them's half mad. And the other, wholly unscrupulous. The great line. Mm -hmm. 
There's a way he plays Dryden that I really love. Uh, and it's very similar to how he played Prince John in Robin Hood. Mm. He injects this sort of playful, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, femininity to him. And I mean that in no negative way. I mean that he's... There is a dance that he is doing mm-hmm. that he enjoys. He's almost well. I don't know if feminism. What is? The, I don't know if the what are the word is, but it, it's a feat. He's yes. If he, yeah. He's enjoying himself. Yeah. yeah. He's enjoying himself in these moments uh, of the back and forth, and you can see the smirk on his face the whole time as he's having the back and forth uh, with Bentley, which is great. And I, when he has the back and forth, when he knows better in the room about stuff, he, it's it's enjoyable. Like yeah. When he plays he, these roles, Reigns is just unstoppable. He has the same thing in uh, Casablanca. He has those yeah. moments. Where he just knows better than whoever's in the room with him, and it's great. He, he has an elegant and whimsical detachment. There we go. Nice. Right, Paul, there we go. Now Alan B's going to really use his powers. Hmm. I mean, this is, you know, you take a guy, he's looking at a guy who's completely on edge, hmm. completely falling apart. I think Alan B reads him correctly, and he, I really think he needs this guy to be back in the field. And so yeah. he's going to manipulate him into doing it. By speaking to his ego. Yep. Yeah. I believe your name will be a household word when you would have to go to the War Museum to find who Allenby was. You're the most extraordinary man I ever met. Leave me alone. <laughs> and I think this was dubbed. I think this is older Peter O'Toole oh. dubbing this part because they had lost the sound. Um, and there's this moment where he finally says, all right, I'm extraordinary. As an admission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That he's been given permission to make yeah. in a way, too. Like, if these people are saying it, then I can say it out loud and, and believe it again. Not that he probably, like you said, ever really truly disbelieved it, but he had a, a major blow to his sense of invincibleness. Yeah. Um, but it, it was sort of rather easy for them to, to coax him back into because he wants he 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 wants to be a great man he mm-hmm. wants to be that figure he sees himself as a hist he you can picture him thinking what are kids going to read in their history books fifty years from now about me and I want to play into that I want to be that yeah. well it's funny like there's a distinction that I don't think Lawrence gets that's important which is that extraordinary means beyond ordinary yeah. which he clearly is he is smarter and more driven and more articulate and he he's beyond the ordinary that's true it doesn't make you a god right? and the <laughs> that's thing, a bit of a leap <laughs> and the thing that he keeps thinking is that he's a god right. it's like no you're just smarter and better and more talented than everybody else therefore you can do stuff that other people can't do it doesn't mean you're invulnerable right you know and he keeps confusing the two and there's a great little thing where where alamy uses this weird logic game of like you know, you have a destiny. You shouldn't throw that away. And Lawrence's response is, oh, do you know that from personal experience? <laughs> well, no. Ah, then you're guessing. And what's funny is, is there's this moment where Lawrence then just abandons the argument. You're guessing, man. Suppose you're wrong. Why suppose that? We both know I'm right. Yes. After all, I said yes. I get um, the game you're playing. You won. I'm going back. I'm going to go back. Um, and we go back into the plan. Um, and what we hear is that we're pushing towards Damascus and Lawrence says, we're going to get there before you. They won't be coming for money, not the best of them. They'll be coming for Damascus, which I'm going to give them. So he'll play their game. Yeah. But with his own motivation. Right. Yeah. In play. Which Alan B's okay with. Yeah. That's all I want. All you want is someone holding down the Turkish right, but I'm going to give them Damascus. We'll get there before you do. And when we've got it, 
We'll keep it. You can tell the politicians to burn their bit of paper now. Fair enough. Fair? What's fair got to do with it? It's going to happen. I shall want quite a lot of money. All there is. Not that much. The best of them won't come for money. They'll come for me. There it is. He's back. Well, <laughs> some version of it, a version it, of in him. A, yeah. In a in a very much darker version. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and it's funny. Cover. We hear the cheers as he's saying that. Mm-hmm. The, and he's. The, this movie was, as an editor, I'm sure you know this, is one of the original movies that did the L cut. You can when oh. you when you hear the next scene, the sound from the next scene while you're still on the shot from the previous scene. Mm-hmm. It's done all the time, the time now. Right. But this was one of the early films that made that a uh, it was it was a, a very particular choice. I, I saw an interview with Anne B. Coates and she talked about that. It's crazy to me, by the way, that she is still editing today. I know. Yeah. She's amazing. I did, I looked at her IMDb. She cut Fifty Shades of Grey. Huh. Yep. She's cut. I'll, I'll tell you some of her lists. She, she's cut all sorts of stuff. Um, Murder on the Orient Express. The original. The original. Seventy four. Yeah. Uh, Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan. Yeah. <laughs> Elephant Man. Uh, she oh, cut oh. Raw Deal with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> she cut What About Bob? Chaplin in the Line of Fire. Out of Sight. Aaron Brockovich. Wow. Fifty Shades of Grey, and is still working. That's amazing. And Lords of Arabia. And she's born in like 1929. Wow. And she is still cutting. Damn right. Ah, amazing. Mm-hmm. Totally amazing. So. Hero of mine. And we're back in the desert with Lawrence riding at the head of his army and Ollie and Benchley talking about whether or not Lawrence has changed. What did that Turkish general do to him in Durak? He was the same man after Durak. The same man. Humble. I thought that was a brilliant exchange because when he says what happened to him in Dara, uh, Ali says he came back the same man, pause, humbled, yeah. mm-hmm. which is a really interesting word to use. And then he flips it and he goes, what did the English general do to him in Jerusalem? Search me. What happened to him in uh, Jerusalem? Right. What do those yeah. generals do to him? And right. it's like he was abused by both. Yeah, in 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 very different ways and very interesting ways, and again, it's just this pitting of the like the the British way of doing things and the Arab or Turk ways of doing things, and um, all encapsulated in just a couple of lines between these two characters. Mm. Well, and that you know, this is definitely goes to you can't want what you want. Is that mm. the person who doesn't seem to be in control of what's happening to him is Lawrence. Yeah, you know, um, there's a we have a quick staff meeting with the general. We're talking about pounding them with artillery. We see the bombing in the distance. And Ollie's response to this tremendous artillery barrage is, God help them. To which Lawrence says, well, they're Turks. And Ollie still, God help them. Mm. And you He's take this, the one who understands humanity. Lawrence is losing sight of it fast. Totally lost it. Mm-hmm. And this is someone who started off being fairly compassionate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, worried about how many people he killed. That's not the Lawrence that we see now. No. Um, uh, the British army continues to march. Uh, Brighton catches up with uh, Allenby, who's in a rolls, and just like he's got the bit between his teeth, mm-hmm. which means he's moving too fast. And um, and then they mention that there's this Turkish column. And I think the implication is that they they kind of 
put it in their path to slow Lawrence down. Is that right. the is that the impression that you get? Mm-hmm. They didn't want him getting to Damascus fast enough. Oh, no, enough. the British absolutely didn't. That's why they kept... Where is he? Where is Lawrence? Nobody actually knows. And it turns out that he's moving faster than they thought. And so, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's a move on their part. So this experience with the Turkish column is... Is another one of those events, a real event from Lawrence's life that is one of those events that broke him, along with some others. And um, this happened right near Dara. That's part of why they think oh. that he did this, is that they were very, very close still to very it. still deal- very dealing with what yeah, happened. Yeah, and they had just literally just ridden by it. They had passed a village that this Turkish column had wiped out, which we see a little bit of in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy that... Uh, essentially commit suicide by atta- by attacking yeah. all on his own. That, that was his village, right? That was his village. Yeah. And that really did happen. It did. It, wow. That really did happen in front of Lawrence. Wow. Um, we're in this argument of Ollie going, no, we got to go to Damascus. We can't, there's no reason to attack these people. And there really wasn't. Mm-hmm. And um, what's going on in Peter O'Toole's face, soul, mm-hmm. eyes is just really crazy. Yep. Or Hans, not this. Go round. Damascus, Orans. Damascus. No prisoners. And finally, Lawrence yells out, no prisoners. No prisoners! No prisoners! And they charge down the hill. No prisoners is a concept that we don't even really have anymore. No. You know, that, that it's just, of course, you could never do such a thing. Mm-hmm. And yet. But it's a phrase we use, we still use. Sure. Take no prisoners. Especially with sports. Yeah. Take no prisoners. But we don't really mean it in war. And we see Not what it war, means though, right. in, in this scene. Yeah. Because they just wipe these people out. Um, you see uh, Ollie's reaction. You know, he didn't want to attack and they're charging. And then he's sort of, you know, just says, oh, God. And then gets swept up in the attack. Yeah. Because what else are you going to do? Yeah. You know? The the moment in the, the battle with the Turkish column, if you can call it the slaughter, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so powerful to me is that there's a turkish soldier who surrenders to him yes mm. raises his hands and surrender and lawrence without hesitation shoots him in the head yep and then he continues firing until his gun is out of ammo mm-hmm. and then that's when ollie sees him and then and ollie's trying to get him to stop and there's just this look on his face when as he, he sees ollie mm-hmm. of shame and fear and lack of control and he runs away yep i think that is so important by seeing the the it's cheesy but like the himself reflected in this exactly. person who's showing how horrifying what he's doing and he and he can't mm-hmm. face that yeah. and so he has to to run away from that reaction run away from himself and i i'm reminded in this moment of there was something about it i didn't like i enjoyed it mm. and that part of lawrence's soul that enjoyed the killing that's taken over now yeah absolutely and it in inspired by the darkness that he's gone through ever right. since that initial killing Gossam, you it's a culmination of, of all of the you know the the negative side effects or things that have happened because of him that all the deaths that have happened the, the mm. his violation the way he's been used and abused by people all around him and this sense of of you know, no longer being invincible or infallible. And so just give in. Yeah. Yeah. And he gives in to that darker sense and, yeah. and does it in a way that is 
brutal. I mean, that final shot of him covered in blood. Ex- he's exhausted from all the killing he's done, holding the knife. Yep. And, and you just staring, like, at, staring at it very much how he did yep. when he looked at his own reflection in yeah. the knife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is this is that. That's my one of my favorite shots in the movie because it is he has descended into the depths of himself, and he is now having this internal battle externally, and the cover and the staring of the knife he is once again in one of his trances yeah. where he is just no one he probably doesn't even sense that there is a battle going on or deaths are being like he is so caught up in questioning where he's at in himself and he's all, and the fact he's all covered up and it's just a very powerful image you know so and as lawrence is sitting covered in blood who comes up walking through the remains of this battle but bentley jesus wept Does it surprise you, Mr. Bentley? Surely you know the Arabs are a barbarous people, barbarous and cruel. Who but they? Who but they? Oh, you rotten man. Here, let me take your rotten bloody picture. For the rotten bloody newspapers. I, this is the first place I heard the expression "Jesus wept." Yeah, I said, "Oh, interesting." That is a profound phrase, yeah. even yeah. to a non-religious person. Jesus wept, mm-hmm. and then he sees bloody Lawrence and says, "Let me take your bloody picture for the bloody newspaper." Oh, you great man! Yeah. Let me take your bloody picture. It's great. And again, we're we're writing, and there's that isolated out disconnected Lawrence and someone runs up and they have grapes from Damascus. We're almost there, <laughs> but the grapes aren't ripe yet. I, you know, <laughs> I'm going to say that's a little symbolic. A bit. And we've arrived at Damascus and we actually got here a day and a half before the British, the British are entering. Um, and Lawrence has set up a headquarters in the town hall. Um, and we're having a conversation between Alan B and his staff mm. about, well, do we push them out of Damascus? Mm. Faisal's coming on his way. And, <laughs> Um, and, and Alan B saying, no, no, everyone stand down, go to the barracks, don't do anything. And someone says, we can't just do nothing. And I love Alan B's line. Look, sir, we can't just do nothing. Why not? It's usually best. <laughs> um, I've heard this. I think this comes from an AA phrase, which is the, which is to reverse the expression. Don't just stand there, do something. And the expression is don't just do something, stand there. <laughs> and sometimes that's the best advice. Yeah. No, no, don't do anything. Yeah. Just stand there. And that's what Allenby chooses chooses to do. And he says, in particular, all technical units and particularly the medical should do nothing. It clearly shows that he is very, has a strong understanding of the situation in that neither Lawrence nor this very unstable coalition of Arab tribes have any idea what it actually takes to not just conquer Damascus, but then actually to run it. Yeah, well, and this is, you know, Alan B. is a brilliant bastard, mm-hmm. wholly unscrupulous, as Dryden describes him, yep. and he's right. Um, we're in a council meeting, and everyone is yelling. There's complete chaos. Alda and Ollie are arguing. Finally, Lawrence uses a gun as a gavel to call them to order, and he's trying to pull them together, yeah. but they keep arguing. Um, and, the, you know, the telephone's not, well, the telephone needs the electricity, and, um, and, and Alda is attacking Ollie because Ollie's supposed to provide the electricity. And he and Lawrence forces Ollie to apologize, which I think two years earlier he would never have done. Right. They would have had a blood feud. Um, and yet, you know, 
they need the reality is they need english engineers mm-hmm. um and but if you bring in english engineers then you bring in the english. british gov- the yeah. government um and there's we hear there's a fire but no water pressure and lawrence goes to leave and everyone is coming at him from every direction with petitions and the chaos of this moment is just mm. with everything he did to get here it's just tragic because i think you see this what's going to happen mm-hmm. you know oh yeah the writing was on the wall clearly the british allen b knew it and and we probably i think most viewers probably realized that like that that you're you're going to win damascus for the arabs but it's always much easier to conquer a place than it is to actually yeah. rule it. Yeah. And he's learning the hard way. Well, and the British Empire have had a few hundred years of conquering places <laughs> and establishing. True. They, yeah. you know, and this goes back to the Brighton philosophy of the military and honor is like those troops are going to go in and they're going to do their jobs and they know how to do things and they're well organized and they're very disciplined and they will get stuff done. Yeah. You know, and that's the reality of it. Um, and back in, of course, in the British headquarters, what's Allenby doing as fires are burning and all this chaos is happening? He's practicing his fishing, you know, <laughs> his casting. Yep. Maybe I should take this up after the war. Mm. And the power goes out, and we see that Arabs are leaving the city. Yep. Allenby's winning. He'd waited it out. Yeah. yeah. He understood that's, that that was inevitable. Yep. Now we're back at this big council chamber, and pretty much Lawrence is alone. He's still trying to write out paperwork, and you know this guy hasn't slept. Yeah, I mean, right. he's just working himself solidly. And Auda says, let's just leave here. Go back to the desert. you know. And Auda says, I know your heart. Mm-hmm. Do you think he knows Lawrence's heart? Uh, I think as much as anybody could know Lawrence's heart, I think Auda would. Why not? Because he's an unknowable person. I think he's unknowable. Right. I think he knows the one section of his heart right. very well. But I yeah, I think he recognizes Lawrence as a fellow warrior, yeah. as a fellow leader, as a, a man with bloodlust. Yeah, and, and, and who understands honor amongst, uh, who understands the, the Arab version of honor, who even though he's a British person, and recognizes that at least at one time, probably not now, but the the Lawrence that he first knew and fought with was a lover of the desert, and that is where Auda is going, and he wants to appeal to that version of yeah. Lawrence and sees that part of it. But he it doesn't understand that 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 is not the whole of Lawrence. Yeah, the 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 insecure, introverted, self critical, deeply conflicted person. I don't think Auda can understand that person. No, I don't mm-hmm. think that's and 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 Lawrence takes the paper back and goes back to writing. And Auda asks him, "Is it is it the blood? Is it the blood?" The desert has dried up more blood than you could think of. And that's, the, that's in theory, one of the beauties of the desert. That's why the desert is clean. And, right. and I find that hearkening back to what Lawrence used to think as the reason why he loved the desert. And I thought it was very telling that Auda calls back to it in a way. Yeah. But Lawrence has now seen the blood yeah. and seen the blood that it, it, the, the desert has taken from his friends, his from his own person and and can't see the desert as clean anymore and his response is i pray that i never will see the desert again Mm. hear me god Mm. and and what Alda says back to him is so i hope no one ever says anything like this to me Mm. you will come there is only the desert for you like i don't want someone to make a prophetic statement about my life Mm -hmm. like that that is scary there was only the cinephiles for you Hmm. that's cool i like this yeah we'll come back to that yes it's fine 
I have no I have no relation to the cinephiles like T. Lawrence has in the desert. <laughs> There's been no Dara. Fair point. Sure, Apocalypse Now was a difficult episode, <laughs> but it wasn't I didn't feel that the sanctity of my integrity had been forever irrevocably yes. changed or whatever. <laughs> um okay. I should have said Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> you haven't been raped by the cinephiles yet. Yeah. Not yet. Um so- we do Lord of the Rings. No! <gasps> Don't tell Rachel I said that. What? Don't tell Rachel I said that. <laughs> Is that your movie? let's just say i've grown up on tolkien there it's my favorite book it is in top 10 movies i have multiple lord of the rings tattoos and i'm a contender in the inner geekdom almost solely based on my extraordinary knowledge of lord of the rings nerd and he doesn't like <laughs> hobbits so this is i certainly don't like hobbits they unsettle me it's the hairy feet yes <laughs> the high-pitched squeals yes go ahead um and then uh, Lawrence is with Ollie and says, and looks at him like, are you going to leave too? And he says he's going to stay and learn politics. Um, something he had no thought of when he met Lawrence. And Ollie still is trying to give him some kindness. You tried very hard to give us Damascus. Yeah. Um, and he says, well, that's what I came for. And and where Ollie sees it as you, what you did is amazing. And you should know the amazingness of what you did. Yeah. All Lawrence can see is failure. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have Auda and Ali. This is a beautifully heartbreaking scene. It's a great scene. And the argument they have, it's, you're right, it's heartbreaking. Um, They're fighting for his soul. Yeah. He is your friend. Kill Handaway. You love him. No, I fear him. And why do you weep? I fear him who love him. How must he fear himself who hates himself? I cry. Because Conan cannot cry. I cry for Conan. <laughs> exactly. That's what that moment is, man. It's true. Yeah. I, that is might be the first ever Conan Lawrence of Arabia comparison I'm that I know of. <laughs> but I think you're right on the money. I cry because he will not cry. And and it's funny, their relationship is kind of fascinating. It's, it's the movie. Explain. It's the two sides of the coin. Mm. It is Ali is the intelligent, somewhat up somewhat brought up in the higher echelon of uh, the Arab world. And of course, I don't know. So anybody, please don't get offended. I'm saying this from the movie. He is, he conveys that the more, the cerebral approach, the more, uh, just the more higher above it approach. Whereas Ali is the ground troops. I mean, uh, out as the ground troops, Ali is the sky. Allah is the ground. You cannot win without one. You have to, you have yeah. both an effective use and equal use to win. So you need someone who is willing to do the dirty work down on the trenches, and you need someone who's above that you can call in the strikes from. And that's what those guys are. That's what they represent. And so that's why, uh, to me, if you don't have two sides of that same coin bouncing off Lawrence the whole time, it doesn't work. The film doesn't work. Well, I think on some level there are two sides of Lawrence's personality. Sure. He, Absolutely. He might have some other sides too, but like outer representing the warrior of yeah. him, the killer, the you know, the, mm-hmm. the 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 man of action, and Ali being the more cerebral, mm-hmm. more thoughtful the politician, mm-hmm. the noble, younger. Right. Yeah. Which is why he has a better relationship with Ali, because Ali is who he thinks he is, and Auta is who he can be, and he doesn't want to have as close of a relationship with Auta as he has with Ali. But Ali's the one who is the more understanding of the two and the yeah. more forgiving of the two. And the one who sees the good despite the bad, which is yeah. something that it's it's not even a consideration for Auda yeah, one he way or the care. other. And yeah. for Lawrence, it's just it's just not a, a a point of view he can see himself from, mm-hmm. even though Ali is showing him the best version of himself. And they have a last moment where Auda tells Ali, "Being an Arab will be thornier than you imagine." 
And Ali disappears in the shadows, and that's all we see of him. Yeah. And being an Arab will be thornier than you imagine is certainly prophetic. Dope. Hard, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's the next morning. A medical officer comes to Allenby, and he says, insists that he must take over. Uh, he and, and Allenby's like, no, you, I'm giving you orders. And, that, and, and there's this conflict of like, you know, at what point can the doctor say, no, I'm not listening to your orders. Right. Um, and someone visits Lawrence and they tell him about the Turkish military hospital and his response is, and then it's a disaster. And he goes, what's it like? That's a weird line hmm. yeah. because that line isn't what can I do to help? Yeah. It's his curiosity to look into the worst of humanity. Um, and the descriptions about the Turkish hospital and seven pillars, again, it's the same thing as, as whatever happened in Dara. It is brutal and disgusting and nonspecific. I mean, kind of, you know, it's like take a really good poetical writer and have them write about the most vile thing you can imagine. Yeah. And his experience of going there. I mean, it is really rough. Mm. Um, he goes to this hospital. Um, and and I, I really think this is one of, is the biggest life-changing experience in his life was this hospital. And I think he spent several days there, wow. by the way, trying wow. to clean it up. Um, Makes sense. And yes, a British doctor did show up mm -hmm. and did slap him, thinking he's an Arab. Yes. Outrageous! <laughs> you filthy little wolf! Uh, ironic the one person yeah. who thinks he's yeah, the arrow. one guy yeah, yeah. the one guy you i can fool <laughs> lawrence laughs <laughs> lawrence's laugh is just maniacal oh. it's incredible gone yeah. yeah yeah he's crazy i love that laugh yeah mm. um and uh now Faisal's in a meeting with Allenby. Well, and what's weird about the scene is we're not even that aware that Lawrence is there yeah. for a while. And then we see him standing in the shadows in British uniform. He's told he's promoted colonel. Mm -hmm. has almost no effect on him. I mean, this guy's completely shattered. Mm -hmm. yep. And at this point, that's fine for them. It's better for them than yes. he is. Yeah. He's less of a Served head. his purpose. Mm -hmm. um, Faisal has a great line that's... Young men make wars and the virtues of war are the virtues of young men. Courage and hope for the future. Then old men make the peace. And the vices of peace are the vices of old men. Mistrust and caution. It must be so. Yes. Unreal. That so good. That is the line of the movie. Yeah. Uh, honestly, uh, from top to bottom, that is the line. Whenever Alec Guinness says that, I get a stupid grin on my face because it is, it is the line of the movie. It describes the entire movie. Yep. And it's and it's really problematic, yeah, in a lot of ways. Like you wish you could combine the hope of the young men with the caution of the old men. It's impossible. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Only Justin Trudeau has been able to do it in Canada. <laughs> Only him. He's a very handsome man. He is a handsome man. <laughs> um, and Lawrence starts to exit, and Faisal says to him, "What I owe you is beyond evaluation." Mm. But Lawrence is already gone. Yeah, he's not even staying to talk to him. And it's also. It's a compliment, but it's like especially like afterwards yeah. when when you hear him talk, like it's 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 almost horrifying yep. because like yeah, he does owe him a lot, but in this really kind of almost dirty political underhanded, mm -hmm. I, I I have used and abused and and it 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 it, it makes my skin crawl a little bit mm. to be honest. Yeah. Interesting. 
Um, because well, he, he doesn't factor in what he took out of no. For that. He he, he d- yeah. uh, you get the feeling that he's callous enough to mm-hmm. just be like the 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 cost here, not just in in the deaths that have happened in in mm-hmm. those that were close to Lawrence, but the the crushing of your soul right. is casualty of war and, yeah and it wasn't ali who said this but since ali is part of faisal's you can make the connection uh he doesn't matter the well is all that matters yeah mm-hmm. he doesn't matter wow. that's great uh, arab the what they're doing is what matters. well and and to some degree there's truth here yeah. in terms of the way that we look at war I mean, yeah you know sacrificing a pawn to win the war mm-hmm. that's that is the nature of what we're doing here happens all the time yeah and the um lawrence heads out and this is the moment we talked about where someone shakes his hand just to say he's done it yeah mm-hmm. uh and lawrence says haven't we met before yes and that's the guy who slapped him and then we come back in with alan b and uh faisal this is some cold stuff yeah man this is where you really see it and and it's funny too because alan b r- realizes it at the yeah. end too and and you we've been on the military side of things and we've been on the ground and in the the fighting and, and all of that. And then this is where the real mm-hmm. history is made. It's the, 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 the real actual horrible stuff that's mm-hmm. going on is all done via politics and via this, like mm-hmm. this crazy back and forth. And, um, it, it's so eye opening and it, you'd gotten hints that Faisal was smarter than yeah. you, you in all of his interactions with various people, but this scene was proof that he had, in a lot of ways, manipulated everything up until this point, yeah, yeah. or at least saw Lawrence and realized he could use him as a pawn in, you know, to, to put him in the best negotiating position he could be considering the Sykes-Picot Treaty and how it was all going to go down. Yeah. And we get this idea that of how powerful the image of Lawrence has been. Mm-hmm. And, and that it can be used to yeah. Faisal's advantage. And Faisal says, But then Orange is a sword with two edges. We are equally glad to be rid of him, are we not? And sh- th- there it is. There's the true colors of what Lawrence really actually meant to him. Yep. Yeah. And 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 Allenby's like shocked by that the mm-hmm. first time. Yeah. The cynical, you know, yeah. the guy totally who unscrupulous. Also used Lawrence. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, you did too. I thought I was a hard man, sir. You are merely a general. I must be a king. That is a that is a this is a great thing to come out. And what's interesting is how much we faded away from Lawrence. Yeah. Yes. Like we're not he's not really gonna exist from the Turkish hospital on. Mm-hmm. We'll see him, but he's a shadow. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh the world got the better of him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of finishing their deal, the two of them, and Brighton just can't even be in the room anymore. Nope. He's nope. so upset. Yeah. Um, of all people. Yeah. Even if you when you turn Brighton off, you know you've gone too far. Well, he's come to admire Lawrence as a great man, mm-hmm. and sees, and as you said, he's the most honorable man in the movie. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and so this is this is just not right. And for him to have that final, like he tries to catch Lawrence, tries to mm-hmm. to run out and and see him off in the distance, and like you wonder what he would have said if yeah. he had caught him to like to maybe because he can't have been unaware of the shell of a man that Lawrence was standing in that room in the background in the shadow, as you said, and then, you know, to basically just be promoted in order to ship him back to England. Um, And then, and you just, he gets to the stairs and he can't get to Lawrence and just the look on his face. And you're just like, yeah, "Yeah, you get it. You, you get what just happened over the course of these two years and how it affected this man. And and then also history and everything else like it's it's encapsulated by this minor character who went through this arc that I, I just, 
And he's off in this Jeep, mm-hmm. um, which, by the way, they weren't wearing pants, just so you know. <laughs> um, and um, they're honking at the Arabs, and the and the the and you watch Lawrence sort of look at the Arabs, yeah, and the camels, yeah, from a, almost like he's from a distance, mm-hmm. like oh, I can't be part of that anymore. It's not happening anymore. And 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 the guys try to be nice and mm-hmm. going home, going and home, trying to talk to him. And and I love that the glass on the Jeep is dirty. Mm-hmm. So we can't even really see his face well. Well, sir, going home. Home, oh, sir. And as they drive off, we hear the theme again. this might be the smallest ending of the biggest movie you know like we've had such scope mm-hmm. and it really ends almost with a whimper but yeah, yeah. with a little allusion to the beginning because with the, the motorcycle well absolutely. because we had started at the end with mm-hmm. this film uh, yeah it's interesting then then where do you end then you end just prior to that in this is the end of that version of t.e lawrence right because yeah. it's called lawrence of Arabia, right. not nope. T. Lawrence. Yeah. No, Lawrence of or so from that time. Yeah, um, he continues to be a fascinating person. Mm-hmm. I mean, he so he his relationship with Faisal, by the way, didn't end here. He was Faisal asked him to go with him to Paris for the peace treaty, uh, and he was Jesus. and so he was there uh, meeting with President Wilson and David Lloyd George, who was the Prime Minister of England, and Georges Clemenceau from France. To, and these are the guys that divided up the way the world work, looks today. Mm-hmm. Like all of the borders, uh, n- not just European borders, but African borders, Middle Eastern borders. So all these countries like Lebanon and Jordan and Syria and Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and Dubai and all those, they were created by this meeting in Paris in yeah. 1919. And Lawrence and Faisal did not get what they want. And they they basically made all sorts of deals to put various people in charge that they and this is also right at the same moment that oil was being discovered in the mm-hmm. Middle East, yeah. and so because at the time of Lawrence of Arabia they didn't really know that, and then by the by the 1919 and then 1920 1922 they started to know that, and so the American British and French needs start to pressure that, and you know Ibn Saud and the Wahhabists who were radical Muslims in the Arab group. Well, that's Saudi Arabia. That's where Saudi Arabia comes from. Faisal becomes the king of what becomes Syria. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hussein becomes the king of Jordan. Jordan. You know, France is in charge of Lebanon. And, you know, like the the, the relationship between these countries as divided up by Sykes-Picot, this manipulation, and it's such a failure and so depressing to Lawrence, who had been really in charge of a lot of this. He went into this unbelievably deep depression and he returns home. And as a child, he had been fascinated by the story of knights and and great warriors and lords and always wanted to be that. And they say, oh, you have a meeting at Buckingham Palace. And he goes to Buckingham Palace and they bring him into a room and there's the king sitting in front of him. And next to the king is a sword. And in front of the king is a uh, something to kneel on. And he goes, oh, they're going to knight me. I'm going to be Sir T.E. Lawrence. And he turns around and he walks out. So one of the only people in history to refuse being knighted by the king. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this wow. speaks to, I mean, like what you would, the quotes you were reading earlier, he, he had no, 
confidence in himself yeah. that to to actually like as much as he wanted to be in the limelight and he wanted to be uh, a great man figure he actually deep down did not believe he deserved that well and i think he came to the end of the romantic view of what he he, he saw that what started in Aqaba ended in Dara and with the Turkish mm-hmm. column and the Turkish military mm-hmm. hospital. You know, he discovered that this was fraud yeah. and this mm-hmm. was violence and death and murder and blood and he shouldn't be knighted. Yeah. This is, you know, I think, I mean, I don't want to say what he thought. Like I should mm-hmm. back up a little bit, but clearly he was deeply depressed and conflicted by his actions in the war yeah. and how little it meant. I mean, that's what's so tragic about the story is the vision he had of a united Arab peaceful democratic government moving forward well that didn't happen yeah you know after this all fell apart he changed his name the first name was john ross and he rejoined the air force he joined the air force as a private and did that for several years and at one point faisal comes to london and says i need to meet my old friend lawrence and he's like i don't want to meet him um and this is really you know we didn't have these terms like ptsd clinical depression but that's really where he was and he's like, I don't want to meet him. And and Winston Churchill and some of the because his friends, by the way, were like Winston Churchill and George Bernard Shaw and all these people. Wow. While he was living in some obscure army base as a private, and they go, no, we got to bring you. And he, they bring him to London and they they put him in a colonel uniform and they make him eat a meal with Faisal. And he didn't speak basically the whole meal. He just couldn't talk to him. And then if, if everyone finds out that oh, this John Ross is really T. E. Lawrence because he's this hugely famous person. Yeah. Um and. Um, he changes his name again to T.E. Shaw because his, one of his good friends is George Bernard Shaw. And he joins the army as a private again and spends the next 10 years in the army. Wow. And he was like a supply sergeant. Uh, you know, he worked his way up to that. And he worked on motorcycles in his spare time and rode motorcycles. Um, yeah, it's a very it's a very sad story for him. It is not a very sad story for the movie Lawrence of Arabia, mm-hmm. which was released in 1962. The first version was was what we have now is the director yep. cut, three hours and forty two. Then they cut twenty minutes out. Then they cut ten minutes out. It was had different lengths in different places. The movie was so popular that it went to a place where certain theaters had you mail in in advance to reserve tickets months oh. away. Wow, that's how that's part of this is with a movie that long. You can only do two showings a day. Yeah. It took a long time for everybody to see this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And everybody certainly did. It won seven Oscars, including Best Picture, Director, Cinematographer, Screenplay, Music, Editing, and Design. He lost to Gregory Peck for To Kill a Mockingbird. Fuck that. Oh, mm. I, okay. I mean, look, you, you, that is a very tough call. <laughs> I don't think it is. I really do. I love, I love Gregory Peck. Don't get me wrong. I, I love the movie. I love Gregory Peck in it. Mm-hmm. But if you compare those two performances, I don't think there's a comparison. You know, the movie is beautiful. Peck's performance is solid and good. It's great. I mean, but he's what like Lawrence good... does is a whole. I mean, if I had to pick personally, yeah. I am affected by Lawrence of Arabia. It's clearly where yeah. I've been talking about it for hours at this point with you guys. <laughs> so I would give it to Peter O'Toole, but this is not a question. This is not one of those Oscars somebody won that not, somebody no. lost oh, where I'm right, like... Right, right, no, right. Gregory Peck's great. Yeah. It's not totally. a crime, a crime. Right? Yeah. Look, if Gregory Peck had played Atticus Finch on the back of a camel in 130 degree <laughs> weather over two years <laughs> in the desert, then, then, maybe, no then maybe I give it at to all. Um, <laughs> But no respect, no disrespect <laughs> to Mr. Gregory Peck. He went to my alma mater. He went to UC Berkeley. So, oh, wow. So we had to like him. 
Um, yes. And then in the 80s, it was restored. And this is, you know, for me, this is one of those movies that I, it's in the theater. I'm going to go see it. Mm -hmm. John, can you please tell me your final <laughs> thoughts on Lawrence of Arabia? Well, let's, I've got another four hours of final thoughts. Uh, no. Um, will, there be, will there be an intermission? There'll be an intermission. <laughs> an overture. Da -da -da. Uh, listen, um, what can I, like, here's what I can tell you about the movie. Uh, no matter how many times you watch it, you haven't watched it enough. And you can't say that about a lot of great films, even the most uh, incredible films that are, that are lauded by numerous uh, awards or, or organizations or critic circles or whatever. Uh, and like the great ones, and I've said this, and I don't want to repeat myself, but I've said this before, like when you see it, you, it's one of those films you can see over and over again and get something new out of it at each time, something new to explore for yourself, something new to explore in the actual movie. And it'll teach you about film. That's the number one thing I tell you about Lawrence Ferrari. It'll teach you about film. As we talked about these last two parts, it, you will appreciate cinematography, appreciate editing, appreciate acting, direction, camera angles. It's all here to teach you what cinema can be. But at the heart of it is this very complicated man uh, going through his own personal journeys. And if you... There is something here for you to explore as you watch Lawrence explore his journeys as well, from the from the idealism of a young man to what we all experiences in what we all experience in life, which is uh, things don't always work out the way we want them to. People lie, people betray, we get hurt, um, and how we react to that hurt is what matures us. And these are the journeys that he goes through through the whole movie. By the end. We hope we don't walk away from life and escape, as Steve was pointing out. He escaped in the Air Force, escaped into the Army. We hope we come out like Faisal or like Dryden or like uh, uh, Allenby with a more uh, circumspect view on the world. Um, but as you watch this movie, uh, it will take you places that you've never gone to in any other movie. Um, and it will make you fall in love with it over and over and over again. And that's the only way I can speak about the film uh, from my point of view. How about you? What do you think? I've said this before, even earlier, but I just, I feel like they don't make movies like this anymore. They just wouldn't no. in our current climate, both from a filmmaking perspective, from a writing perspective, from to every perspective. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like if you looked up like a, a word that is very, very overused and I'm guilty of it is epic. And I feel like but this is what I mean when I say it. There's this kind of movie and not just in the visual scope because it is beyond epic in that sense, but in the journey. And, and I don't want to say hero's journey because that's not what it is. And I'm not sure he qualifies as an anti-hero either, but it's, it's still that journey of this, of a person who is so flawed and yet so interesting and so, relatable in ways that sometimes you don't even want to admit to yourself. Therefore, it's just so riveting to me. And I, and I feel like that kind of a character, especially given that he was a real person, and I, you know, I'm not the first person to say, but truth is stranger than fiction mm -hmm. so often. And it's one of the reasons I love historical biopic pictures like this that shine a light and, and really dig in and examine something. And maybe doesn't come away with answers but it does make you think over and over and 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 come back to over and over and like john said that's a testament of the best films is every time you're going back you're seeing something a little different plus if you wait years you're older and so now you see something different when when you watch it again and it's just all of these moving pieces 
in one film that, you know, I, I just, I wish more movies would, you know, be as intelligent and be as willing to dive into the gray areas and show us something that, you know, is as moving as it is, as it is funny, as it is um, enjoyable. Like it, it has everything for me, I guess is the best way to say it. <laughs> it's funny. I, I've been sitting here, I, I, you know, I always make the other people say final thoughts first. It's one, of my, it's one of my cheats. You're cheating. It is definitely a cheat. Um, and I'm having trouble coming up with what mine are. Yeah. The, the the first thought I have is that today when movies are made, if you're going to make, they make some really big movies mm-hmm. with big budgets and big scope. Um, and those movies tend to need to limit what they're about and their complexity and their mystery mm-hmm. and their subtlety and their personalness because they want to appeal to a big audience. Yeah. And there are movies that are deeply personal and subtle and complex and delve into the life of someone, but those movies tend to be really small yeah, because they're just like an independent film that goes at a certain place. And this is a movie that is huge in scope mm-hmm. and deeply, deeply intimate and personal in a way. I can't think of any other epic, which I agree. This is an epic. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other epic that really does this in that at this level. And the thing that it does to me is I get pulled in so completely to the character of T.E. Lawrence and I like him so much and admire him so much and feel for him so much and I'm amused by him and his childlike elements and his brilliance and his manipulation and his courage and in the driven qualities of him. I just am swept up with him in this way that I'm not with any other character I can think of in film. And then to see what he goes through and to go through it with him is so painful and it and and it doesn't leave you with answers like it doesn't say and you know it doesn't say that he shouldn't have done what he shouldn't have attacked Aqaba. it doesn't say that it wasn't good that he got his men to damascus it just says look at the cost and the cost exists on a broad level as we see you know the murder of the turkish column or the turkish hospital but it also is more importantly the profound cost on a personal level and that and this relates again to, you know, as you said, John, many times, every time you look at a film, you can look at it with new eyes. And now looking at it, I think about soldiers who come back mm. and what they're dealing with. And that, yeah. and T.E. Lawrence and what his life was is a cautionary tale for that. And the, and the other thing about some movies, you see the movie and you go, I'm done. And I had a great time and that was awesome. Or that was really funny or that was really scary or I even cried. Mm -hmm. But then you're done with that. And other movies pull you to keep asking questions. And Lawrence, for years, has pulled me to read other books about him, to Mm -hmm. study the history about him. And and as much as I never get to the end of the character of T. Lawrence in the film, I've never gotten to the end or the bottom of the real T. Lawrence as he lived in life. They're not noble things. And maybe that's part of what that makes this film so profound for me is that I'm never going to get to the end of it. Yeah. Which feels that way sometimes because it's really long. But. <laughs> um, so that's what we think about Lawrence of Arabia. If you've gone this long, I hope you've watched the film and can tell us what you think. If you want to visit us on Facebook at the cinephile, C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S, you can watch this on YouTube or iTunes or Stitcher or a whole bunch of other places. Uh, leave your comments on YouTube. Reviews on iTunes are really, really important. Please leave them. If you want to suggest a film for us to do, visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash the cinephiles. If you've listened to all of this and you haven't watched Lawrence of Arabia, buy it on our website. It's cinephiles.net. 
And uh, as always, you can reach me at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? Uh, you guys can always reach me at The Roca Says on Twitter and on Instagram. And guys, don't forget, uh, guys and girls, don't forget, leave comments on iTunes, leave comments on YouTube, leave comments on Stitcher, Android, wherever you can do it. Leave it because it really helps us. It really helps elevate the show and get us out there more and more to more people. You guys know we're not on a large network uh, like some of my other shows. We're doing this uh, like a mom and pop story, and we're we're scratching. Which one's the mom and which one's the pop? (laughs) I'm the mom. I said like a mom and pop story. No, no, I'm the irascible teenage kid who keeps leaving at the wrong time. He keeps leaving the door open. Um, Yeah, so those things are really important to us because we want to keep growing, and there are some plans for this year that are going to be really big, and tackling these larger movies are part of it, and we want to achieve even more credibility with our knowledge and with what we can impart to to people out there. And if anyone's teaching our – using our uh, podcast to teach in class or whatever or learning from film – Turn your turn them on to it. We'll be happy to record one specifically for your class. Anything that would be interesting uh, to advance the show would be great. Absolutely. So, thanks, everyone. Rachel, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Rachel. Jo- this has been absolutely amazing. Thank you. I am absolutely thrilled to be a part of this. Um, I I am a, a avid listener to the cinephiles. Uh, love talking about movies. And um, when John even remotely suggested that you guys be willing to have me on for this movie in particular, I was like, anytime, anyplace. Well, it's been awesome. If people want to reach you uh, on Twitter, where might they find you? Uh, my Twitter handle and Instagram handle is uh, Rachel J. Cushing. Please reach out. And I think that is it for our epic three-part exploration of Lawrence of Arabia. We will see you next time on The Cinephiles. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.